Lord to give you what you need. I, I believe firmly that uh, He will give you exactly what you need today uh, through His Word. And as we sing, may we worship the Lord today. Uh, a couple of few announcements here. First of all, we got Vacation Bible School coming up quick, so I got a few announcements about it. Uh, first of all, uh, we still have a, a few things available. If you <clears throat> excuse me, if you'd like to help out and donate for our VBS snacks, um, there's a list of, of supplies that are needed on the back table, and you can just mark down what you're going to get and how much you're going to get it there, uh, and have that turned in by this coming this Wednesday, the 22nd. And speaking of this Wednesday, what a great transition there. Uh, <laughs> This Wednesday, the 22nd, uh, we will be having a couple things happen. Instead of Bible study uh, this Wednesday, we're going to be having a couple opportunities for you to serve. One, you can come and you can help out decorate the church of VBS. And I, I want to tell you, it is a big undertaking, uh, undertaking so the, the more hands, uh, the better it will go and the quicker it will go, all right? And so we want to make this look good for our, our kids that are coming in for this. And then if you don't want to decorate, but you still want to take place and, and, and be a part of something, uh, I'll be taking a group out of however many don't want to decorate, and we'll go take some invitations and flyers out uh, to some places and people and try to invite some people, let some people know that we got BBS uh, coming up. And if you don't want to do either one of those, then we can always use supervisors and we can always use prayer, all right? So one of those, preferably the prayer, all right? Um, then next Sunday, we'll start Vacation Bible School. That's the 26th through the 30th, and each night is going to be at 6.30 to 8 o'clock. So if you're helping out, make sure you get here a little early to help out with check-in time and, and uh, just to kind of be in your place, be ready to go. Uh, but that's 6.30 to 8 o'clock each night. And uh, we've got stuff for basically toddlers up through 12 years old. And we also have an adult class, all right? And so the adult class is going to have some fun. I've got some plans for that. So if you're an adult and you're not helping out and you haven't been to VBS before, come, all right? You'll, you'll have a good time, all right? Um, then on July the 3rd, we don't have it in the bulletin, but on, on July the 3rd, that Sunday morning, the kids from VBS are going to come back and uh, sing a few songs for special. And so that'll be a good time. We want to come and support them, cheer them on, root for them, clap for them, shout for them, and all that good stuff. And then on July the 4th, that evening, if you don't have plans, uh, or if you don't already know, but the town sets off fireworks basically in our backyard. And so here's what we're looking to do. Uh, that evening at 7 o'clock, come join us. Um, the church is going to provide, you know, uh, Plates, napkins, forks, all that stuff, and, and uh, we'll have um, water and ice. And if you guys bring whatever you want to share, bring some snacks to share, we'll have a short little devotion, maybe sing a little bit of some, some patriotic songs. We'll have some outdoor games, cornhole and whatnot, let the kids play, and uh, we'll be able to just enjoy the night, enjoy some fellowship, watch the fireworks, and after the fireworks, um, go home and sleep. All right, that sound good? Um, but we hope you can come out, make plans to, to join us. And uh, we would love to have you there. And feel free as well. This is not just strictly for the church, but um, certainly people in the community will park in our parking lot. Invite people to come. Um, more than merrier, we'd love to be able to be a gospel witness and just enjoy some fellowship and the, and the freedom that God has provided for us. Then as well, big one, and this is going to be running for a little while. Um, we've got uh, on Sunday, July the 10th, the women's, uh, women's ministry, they're going to be having a meeting uh, just to solidify some things and, and uh, for the women's retreat. The women's retreat will be Thursday, September 29th. Through Saturday, October the 1st, all right? There's a sign-up sheet on the back table for those who are, are interested. Uh, the cost is going to be about 100 bucks or so, um, which is about what it was uh, just kind of in years past and things. That covers um, your stay as well as food um, and a deposit of $50 due on the first week of, of August there. Debbie Vaughn, Harold Vaughn's uh, wife, she will be doing um, the speaking up for that. And I, I would encourage you ladies, if you haven't gone I encourage you to go. She's a fantastic speaker. Great time for fellowship with the ladies of the church and as well get to uh, be refreshed from the Word 
And so I, I encourage you, if you haven't made plans to go, make plans to go. Take that time and, and do so. All right. Um, but lots of stuff happening, and we're thankful for what God is doing here. But let's pray, and let's ask for the Lord's blessing today. And uh, I want to just take a quick moment and say uh, thank you to every godly father that is out there. How many of y'all had the best dad ever? Well, no, you didn't, because I did, right? <laughs> no, we all say that, don't we? But, but you know something, it really is something special when you have uh, someone who, who loves you, supports you, cares for you, and, uh, and someone who gives you such rugged, handsome looks like me, right? <laughs> no, um, but it, it is something special when you have a, have a godly father who really uh, cares to teach you what it means to, uh, to, to love the Lord and to follow Him. But let's pray this morning, and then we're going to stand to our feet and worship God today. Uh, let us pray. Lord, we come to you this day. We're grateful for this time that we can gather. We can worship you. Lord, we can sit out some time today as well, Lord, just to thank you for um, the, the earthly fathers that you've given to us, especially for those, Lord, who have, who have loved you and have followed you and have showed us what it means to, to be a, a man after God's own heart. We want to thank you as well, our Heavenly Father, for all that you've done and for the giving of your Son so that we might have eternal life. God, we want to thank you that we can gather today and have, have freedom to, to fellowship and, and to sing and to hear your word proclaimed today. I pray, God, that we would not take it for granted, that you would give us a spirit of unity today through your word and through the fellowship of your spirit. And God, that today that we would receive exactly what we need today, Lord. If there's one who needs conviction or saving, that you would convict them or save them, Lord. If there's one who needs encouragement, encourage them. And Lord, that today through all things that we, that we do and say, um, as we sing out, Lord, as we fellowship and as we hear your word, Lord, that we would worship you, we would adore you, we would glorify you in all things. We love you and we thank you for this time. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can hear what I said. I said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you're able, please stand. We'll start our singing in hymn number 338. And we don't have the screens this morning, so it would be very helpful if you used the hymn. <laughs> and me too, by the way. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 tells us, Ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what's wonderful about singing this song, The Wonderful Grace of Jesus. If you've been born again, you've experienced the grace of God. It is a gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. Wonderful Grace of Jesus, as we sing the first, second, and third. All the verses. Wonderful Grace of Jesus greater than all my sin how shall my tongue describe it where shall its praise begin taking away my burden setting my spirit free for the wonderful grace of grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than the mountain, sparkling like a fountain, how sufficient grace for even me, broader than the scope of my transgressions, sing it, greater for than all my sin and shame, my sin and shame, oh magnify the precious name 
grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than the mountain, sparkling like a fountain, all sufficient grace for even me, broader than the scope of my transgression, sing it, greater far than all my sin and shame, my sin and shame, oh of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than the mountain, sparkling like a fountain, all sufficient grace for even me, broader than the scope of my transgression, sing it, greater for than all my sin and shame, my sin and shame, oh magnify the precious name of Jesus, praise his name. Amen. Remain standing if you're able. Hymn number 575. 575 as we sing the first and last verse. Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. That's the word of God too, by the way. Deuteronomy 3327. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Amen. What a fellowship, what a divine, leaning on the everlasting arm. And we get to the course, and we talk about that lean, and let's see you to go this way or that way. Either way, lean a little bit, will you? Okay. was fun, wasn't it? Verse 3. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms, I have blessed peace with my Lord so near. Leaning on the everlasting arms, 
seated hymn number 521 song i love to sing we got a new name in glory rejoice because your names are written in heaven luke 10 20 and we'll sing the first and last verse of a new name in glory <clears throat> i was once a sinner but I came pardon to receive from my Lord. This was freely given, and I found that he always kept his word. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine, oh yes, it's mine, and the white-robed angels sing the story a sinner has come home for there's a new name written down in glory and it's mine oh yes it's mine with my sins forgiven i am bound for is written, saved by grace, oh the joy that came to my soul, now I am forgiven, and I know, by the blood I am made whole, there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine, oh yes it's mine. And the white-robed angels sing the story A sinner has come home For there's a new name written down in glory And it's mine, oh yes it's mine With my sins forgiven I am bound is our greet time. Turn around, smile, wave, shake hands if you want to, if you're close enough. And uh, welcome everybody, everyone here today. And we're glad you're in God's house. After you do all that, you can be seated. We have a real special singing now by Stephen, oh, Josie, and Madison. Praise the Lord. I think they're going to do a little mini concert. Y'all going to do a couple of songs, right? Okay. Thankful to have my daughters up here with me today.
his praises. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin. He dwelt among men, my example is he. The word became flesh and the light shined among us. His glory revealed. Living he loved me, dying he saved me. Buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on a tree. Suffering anguish, despised and rejected. Bearing our sins, my Redeemer is he. The hands that healed nations stretched out on a tree. He took the nails for me, cause living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever, one day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. One day the grave could conceal him no longer. One day the stone rolled away from the door. Then he arose over death he had conquered. Now he's ascended, my Lord evermore. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him from rising again. Rising again. Living he loved me, dying he saved me. Buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day. Oh, glorious day, glorious day. One day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies with his glories will shine. Oh, wonderful day. 
Dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified, freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day, glorious day. Info Marshall. Get on the treadmill. Amen. This must be one of those 30 second ones. <laughs> no skip. I got, I got to close the old glorious day out. Yeah, you'll have to close glorious day out. The tab. And now start that one over if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. <laughs> Can we turn it up just a little bit? I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. Sin separated. The breach was far too wide. But from the far side of the chasm, you held me in your sight. So you made a way across the great divide. Left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. And there at the cross, you paid the debt I owed. Broke my chains, freed my soul. For the first time I had hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life. Brought me from the darkness into glorious light. You took my place, you laid inside my tomb of sin. You were buried for three days, but then you walked right out again. And now death has no sting, and life has no end. For I have been transformed by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus. 
dust it has washed me white thank you jesus you have saved my life brought me from the darkness into glorious life there is nothing stronger than the wonder-working power of the blood, the blood that calls the sons and daughters. We are ransomed by our Father through the blood, the blood. There is not stronger than the wonder-working power of the blood, the blood that calls the sons and daughters. We are ransomed by our Father through the blood, the the blood of life thank you jesus it has washed me white thank you jesus you have saved my life oh, me from the darkness to glorious What a wonderful Father's Day gift there, Stephen. <laughs> Has his two baby girls there singing with him. What a blessing. Amen. Thank y'all. Bow with me and let's pray and go to the only true and living God and ask him for our help and thank him for blessings this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for all your blessings, uh, daily benefits, and Lord, this is one of them coming to your house, worshiping in you, singing praises in song to the one who deserves it the Most High God. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the special music. Thank you for the piano player, Miss Joanne, and the instruments along with her, Larry and Wayne. And thank you for everyone's here. But most of all, Lord, thank you for dying for us on the cross of Calvary, shedding your blood, Lord, and raising from the dead the third day. We praise you for the gospel, Lord, and one can believe the gospel. And call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. We praise you for that great miracle of salvation that you've provided through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask you to help our pastor and give him strength, health, boldness, and liberty to preach your message from your word to our hearts this morning. Lord, help our hearts to be sensitive and Lord, help us to listen and be challenged and be obedient. 
from the uh, direction through our pastor from your word that you're going to give us this morning. We love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray and ask all things and offer praise unto you. Amen. All right, stand with me one more time. We have a handout here today in Christ alone. Uh, beautiful song, great message. And then, like I said, if you're able to stand, please stand. And we'll sing all four verses in Christ alone. Did y'all get a handout? In Christ alone, my help is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. My all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness. Scorned by the ones he came to save. Still on that cross as Jesus died. The wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I body lay light of the world by darkness slain then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since curse has lost its grips on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. First cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home.
may be seated. And thank you all. Now our pastor, Pastor Joe Bryant, let's make him feel welcome. Give him a nice hand. Tell you what, you hear three songs like that in a row, you're about ready to preach for three, four hours. So y'all just buckle up. <laughs> if you got to leave, you, you go, but uh, we're, we're just going to see what the Lord has. And I'm grateful for those songs, grateful for, uh, uh, grateful for what a, a gift that, that we got to watch. Uh, quite the Father's Day gift up here, and as well just to sing about our Heavenly Father who has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. He died for you. Today, if you don't know anything else, if you don't hear another word I've got to say, I want you to know that God loved you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who leave the glory of heaven to put on flesh, as we have sung about, to bleed and to die for your sins because of your sins and because of my sins. And He paid the price that you and I owed but that we could not pay and He made a way when there was no way. And He resurrected the third day according to the Scripture to offer eternal life, to offer forgiveness of sins to all who will simply put their trust in Christ alone. Today, it is through Him alone that our hope is found. It is through Him alone that our salvation is, is offered and available and can be had today. And if you need Christ today, before we get to an altar call, before we get to the, the message, bow your heart to Christ. Ask Him to save you. You don't need my words to say. All you simply need now is to put all of your hope, all of your trust, all of your sin upon Christ and ask Him to save you and He will save you to the uttermost. Take your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 18. The Gospel of Luke, chapter number 18. This morning we're going to be looking at a parable that Jesus gave to those that day to teach them something of great importance of which they could not quite see. But today, the Lord has allowed us as preserving His Word that we can read what He had to say to them for a special reason that we might be able to see today as we've been going through what it means to pray and these different things of prayer. The past five weeks, today will be week number six as we look through this. We've seen the priority of prayer, the purpose of prayer, the power of prayer, the persistence of prayer, the privilege of prayer. And today, we're going to see the position of prayer. Gospel of Luke, chapter number 18, verse 9 14. It says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank You this morning that we can sing Your praises. We can sing about the truth of what Your Son Jesus Christ has accomplished for us so that we might be freely forgiven through Your grace and Your mercy. I pray that You would help me now 
uh, that you would uh, give me liberty to preach, boldness to preach, that it would be, Lord, ultimately, God, it would be you that preaches this message through me, Lord, that I'd just be a tool and a vessel today. God, I believe that you've given us some great things today. You've already touched hearts, but Lord, I pray that now through your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would convict those that need convicting, encourage those that need encouraging. Lord, if there's a, a lost sinner today, I pray that they would be born again. God, only you were able to save. I pray that you would show them your goodness and your mercy, that it would lead them to repentance. And God, for every saint today that is in this place who has walked with you, who knows you, whether they would be encouraged, that they would be reminded of what this means in this position of prayer. Lord, guide today, and Lord, be glorified today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The position of prayer in the life of the believer should be of the utmost importance. We know that. We've already addressed that. We're talking about the priority of prayer. Not a one of us in this place today would say, my prayer life is all that it needs to be or all that I want it to be. We should always understand and we should always have the desire that not only do I want to pray more, it's much, much more than praying more. It's about praying deeper, faithful, Spirit-led, Spirit-obedient prayers. And there is a great difference. And today we see in this parable that Jesus gives, He deals with two very distinct people groups, two very distinct people, as we're going to see here, that there's going to be two people, two prayers, and two positions. And ultimately, we're going to find that if you want to be in a right position in prayer, it will be through humbling ourselves upon the mercy of God, depending upon His mercy alone for everything. Prayer is the most natural and necessary thing to the Spirit-led, Spirit-filled believer. As a matter of fact, much like a child who is born into the world knows how to do two things, and two well, maybe three. They know how to cry to get what they want or need, right? They know how to make a mess, <laughs> right? And that you've got to clean up, right? Happy Father's Day. <laughs> and three, they know how to eat and they know they need food and they know when it's time to eat, they're going to eat. And they're going to eat till they're full. Sometimes they're going to eat till they're sick. Right? Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> and here we look at this, and I want us to know this. The moment you were born again, the moment you trust in Jesus, nobody has to tell you that you're hungry. No one needs to tell you uh, where to find food. The same place you found salvation is the same place you're going to find growth and sustenance. It is at the mercy of God. It is through a continued humbling of ourselves so that Christ may be exalted. And in humbling ourselves, what we find is that we are the closest to the Lord, the more humble and lowly that we are. And many times we can fake humility. There's some false humility out there. Many of us wear or often do or slip into this sort of false humility. And we, we try to have this sort of martyr complex and martyr syndrome. I want you to know, you can really tell. And if someone else can't tell, I can tell you this, God can tell. A humble and contrite and broken spirit, a broken heart, a humble heart. He can tell the difference between that and someone who comes to him in the flesh and in pride. You see, just as that little newborn babe knows that they need food, knows everything, you and I know this as we get older, we know that we need to be able to breathe, don't we? Right? Breath is life. If you're not breathing, you're not living. Okay? Now, prayer is the breath of life for the Christian. If you're not praying, then you're not breathing as a believer. You have to understand that if you're not praying, and not praying in the Spirit specifically as a believer, there's some sickness there and there's something wrong. And it may be that you need to go once more truly and humbly to the mercy of God to be born again. Or it might mean this, that the Spirit of God might just need to touch your heart and show you once more the need for that same 
humble uh, laying down of oneself upon the mercy of God. You see, a sick Christian has shallow breathing because they have shallow prayers. A shallow prayer life is not a this sort of fruit, but rather it is the sign, this outward shine, showing that we've got something wrong inside. We've got something wrong between us and the Lord. However, the position of prayer is not only that it should be important and necessary and natural, but the true position of prayer, as we're going to look at today, is one of humility, dependence, and trust, or faith in God's mercy. D.L. Moody once said that every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. I've had some people who have had some answered prayer, and you want to know why prayer gets answered? Because prayer is prayed. <laughs> you won't have an answered prayer if you never pray. I can tell you that. that that's pretty simple stuff. It's pretty, pretty easy math there. But we have watched the Lord work throughout our lives. God has probably brought some of you in this room through the toughest portions of your life, the darkest hours and moments, even the past year or two, And look at where you are. And you're here today, not because of what you've done, but because of the same mercy of God that you needed to save you that has brought you to this point today. And I would encourage you that what we find is that in everything, and that if we do desire a great move of God in every church service, if we desire a great move of God in our devotional life, in our prayer life, in our evangelism, in in our church life, it is found. The proper position of prayer. Humble, contrite, and broken spirit. God will not reject such. See, the position of prayer must be downward before it goes upward. Meaning this, as John the Baptist said, i got to decrease. He must increase. What we need is less of us and more Jesus. What we need in our churches what we need in our homes, what we need in our own very hearts and minds especially, perhaps the darkest and most dreadful of places, is we need less of us, less of our flesh, and more of Christ. And the way in which you and I will find more of Christ in our prayer life and more of Christ in our homes and hearts and heads and in our church, what we will find is that if we are going to find more of Christ, it will be through us humbly coming to Him in prayer, having the right position. You see, last week we talked about the privilege to prayer and that it is through the mercy of God, through what Christ has done, that now we have the privilege to go at any moment and any time. And often we neglect that, but I want us to know this, that there is a danger at sometimes how we come before the Lord. It is a very dangerous thing to come before the Lord in your flesh. As a matter of fact, what we clearly see all throughout the Bible is that no flesh gets to touch God or even see God face to face. But it is the one who comes by faith, who comes by the mercy seat. Let's look at this today. That First of all, in verse 9 and 10, it's two people. I want to deal with the background for just a moment in verse number 9 here. It says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. There are many today who would say throughout the parables we don't need them because we're not the Jews who he was preaching to. I want you to know, while he was preaching to the Jewish people there, certainly most of the New Testament, if not all of it, was written to people who used to be Jews in the first place. This is very much a, a, a book that is full of Jewish customs and things. But nevertheless, through the blood of Christ, we have been included to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And in this, what we find is that the Word of God is just that. There's not parts of the Bible that are not meant for us any longer, but rather the Word of God is sufficient. And we can learn from this parable what Christ is teaching. And He's teaching something far great 
that, that not just they needed to know, but rather they needed to know it and rejected it. But you and I see that they needed to know it, but so do we. And we must accept by faith the understanding that we come to God one way and one way only. And it is through humble submission dependent upon the mercy of God that we can come to Him. And as we look here, he says, he's preaching and speaking these things to certain who trusted in themselves. Today, if you are trusting in yourself, or maybe you're trusting in religion, maybe you're trusting in a baptism, or, or that you repeated some prayer or walked some aisle, or maybe you slung snot in tears one time, well, you can do all that you want, and you can call, the doctor will call that a sinus infection, right? You can call it allergies. But you know, so what you need is you need to be born again. You cannot trust on yourself or in yourself to save yourself, let alone in your flesh to sanctify yourself or keep you saved. It is all by the mercy of God that we are saved, sanctified, and one day to be glorified with the Lord. Now look at verse number 10. We find two people. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. First of all, look at this first portion of the verse. Two men went up into the temple to pray. We got two different men, but they're both going for the same reason. But we're going to find that one approaches prayer a whole different than the way the other one does. Matter of fact, they're both going to the same place. It both says, as Jesus is preaching this parable to them, that they're going for the same reason, and it says to pray. And we're going to get in a moment about their two prayers, but I want us to understand the difference between the Pharisee and the public and these two people. First of all, the first individual, the Pharisee, they're the religious conservatives. They're the ones who are strict keepers and defenders and enforcers of the law. As a matter of fact, they actually came along uh, about the 2nd century B.C. for a good reason. What was happening in their day is that there was this increase of the, the Greco-Roman world, uh, this sort of uh, heathenism and, and hedonism of, uh, of just absolute sin, impurity, unholiness, unrighteousness in the world. And by the way, that's what the world knows and that's what the world does. But it had begun taking over all parts of society, political, spiritual, in the home, in the workplace. It, it, it sounds familiar, don't it, right? And now these men, they were formed together to combat that evil of their day. And it's necessary, I would tell you this, it is absolutely necessary to bring people back to the Word of God, to take a stand. I, I, I'm one that often sees the extreme of this side, the extreme of that side. I try to find my place where the Bible is right here. But we have to understand that while the Bible for you and I is right here, in the world, it has a sharp contrast and a sharp line drawn in the sand. And we need some of that today. We need some of that. We need moms and dads, and since Father's Day, we need fathers to do just that, to take a stand. And not just take a stand on what you want or what you think or what you feel, but on what God has already declared and said. Now, these men had tried to do such, to combat the worldliness and the sinfulness against God's law. In their root, they're really separatists to the world, and they're separating themselves from the world and to the Word. And it started off so good, but they found themselves determined to keep all 613 Levitical laws. And I want you to know they could not keep one of them. You and I could not keep one of them. You and I could not keep ten of them. God gave ten commandments. We couldn't keep ten. We couldn't keep two. Jesus said, you want to see the law? Love God with everything, all that you are, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And we can't do a one of those in our flesh. However, they were convinced otherwise. They were dedicated to Scripture memory and practice. They had everything outward that would appear that they've got it going on. They would have the outward garb, the outward robes, 
the outward language, and they had the inward knowledge in their mind at least of all that you would think would make someone righteous and in a right position to pray. As a matter of fact, if you were going to ask someone to pray for you, I mean, you're certainly going to ask somebody who, I mean, looks like that compared to you know, this publican, as we'll see in a moment. But what was meant to be a good thing quickly turned into a group of people called the Pharisees who became hardened, obnoxious, and self-righteous in their Phariseeism. Much like many of the Pharisees that we see today. There's much talk today about you've got legalists over here and liberals on this side and all this stuff. There's not so much legalists today in the sense of what legalism really means, which is that you have to be saved through good works and Jesus, but it's more so of that we have an immense amount of Phariseeism in our churches today. And it doesn't always look like traditional Phariseeism. Oftentimes it is an inward Phariseeism that slowly sneaks out and slowly oozes out. And I would tell you today, dear friend, whatever's on the inside will come out. What you are filled with, it will come out. And it will either be ugly or it will be glorifying to God. We've got to combat such extremes today of the liberal agenda that everyone rah-rahs and amens about. But I want you to know we've got to defend against those who are the Pharisees of the church today who believe that they are somebody because their outward appearance is right. Or because they sing the right songs or sit in the right hymns or the color of the carpet in their church is just the right one. Both sides on that go very dangerous to being totally and completely hogwash. Because the moment that we leave the Bible and the Bible alone for our authority and for the way in which we are called to live our life is the moment that we will go to one extreme or the other. And same as this. If your prayer life is suffering, it very much could be because we have found ourselves in a place of one extreme or the other. You see, the outward with no inward is not faith. They knew the law. But they did not know grace. They had every bit of knowledge about things, and yet there before them is Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, and they do not know Him. Jesus came into His own, and His own received Him not. They knew Him not. They rejected Him. Despised and rejected of men. The second person that we find in this is the publican. The publican were as well Jews, but they were Jewish tax collectors employed by the Romans. They would what they would call during the, the Revolutionary War a, a, a turncoat. They were someone who, uh, from everyone else in the Jewish life, looked at them and viewed them as, as traitors. Those who had gone against their countrymen because now, here we are under captivity, if you will, and you're working for the enemy. You're working for the oppressors, collecting our taxes, right? And hey, I mean, not to get too political today, but we'd all probably say taxes are pretty close to just being theft today. I mean, shoot, we're taxed more today than we're in revolution. We ain't thrown, we ain't thrown tea in a harbor in a long time. But these folks were facing some serious things. But these tax collectors didn't just collect taxes in the way in which you would go, this is what you owe and this is what you have to pay. It was, this is what you owe, but we're going to add 15%, 20%, 30%. We're going to add the tax number until I give the money that they want to the Romans and I keep the rest. It was easy to become very rich and also very hated as a publican. You see, the publicans they collected these necessary taxes. As a matter of fact, just over a chapter, we see the story and the conversion of, of Zacchaeus. Uh, chapter 19, verse 2, And there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. You know why? Because he was the chief of them. 
That he's gaining some money, gaining some funds. As a matter of fact, Zacchaeus goes on to say in verse number 8, Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. So what was happening is that they were collecting all this extra money, all these extra taxes through bribery and deception in order to gain much wealth. But in gaining much wealth, they had gained many enemies, including their own countrymen. And what had happened to them is that they had become despised by the other Jewish men and women of their day, even by friends and family. They had become social and societal outcasts, especially hated by these Jewish elitists and purists such as the Pharisees. One, you're going to turn against us. Two, you're going to tax us. Now you're going to take not just the money that's owed, but even then some. It would even went so far as to be rejected from society and looked down upon when they would or if they would dare to come to worship. Because they were so hated, they were viewed as totally opposite, totally against God's people. Sadly, though, what the Pharisees didn't see is that they were just as much against God's people and they did not realize it. Blinded by their own self-righteousness, blinded by their own self-worth, blinded by their own knowledge and self-will. How many times do we find that we see one extreme or the other? But what we're going to find, though, at the end of this is that the one is going to be justified in a right position before God, and the other one won't be. You can have the outward all you want. You can have all the knowledge about the Bible all you want and still be as lost as can be. You can be as hard-nosed as you want. You can be as conservative as you want. You can be as Republican as you want. Still be just as lost. Why? Because lostness and as a believer, your prayer life depend upon the very same thing. And that is the mercy of God. Now let's look here at the two prayers. Verse 11 and 13. First of all, we're going to look at the Pharisee's prayer, if you would call it such. Verse 11, he says, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast in the week twice. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. What a prayer, huh? Boy, you want to talk about somebody that's thankful to God? Oh, boy, it's this Pharisee. You want to talk about somebody that just praises the Lord? Oh, and has a big time? Oh, it's this Pharisee, isn't it? Now, as a matter of fact, in his prayer, God's mentioned once. And then it's God, I thank you simply that I'm not like these other sinners. It's never God, I thank you for saving me a sinner. Why? Because, first of all, let's look at this prayer. It says the Pharisee stood. Now there are those who would look at that and that means, well, you, don't, you can't stand and pray. You have to kneel. Well, a little bit ago, I would have been in real bad sin because I, I stood and prayed and I even had my eyes open. <laughs> y'all to know that. Some of y'all did too because I was watching. <laughs> no. <laughs> I won't tell you who though. No. Pharisee stood. The idea of standing here is not just of standing to pray. It is that he went to a specific place to be seen and stood. He wanted to make sure that you knew where he stood and that he was not standing before God to pray. He was standing before man to pray because he was not ultimately praying to God. He was standing to be heard of men. As he goes to stand, the idea is that he goes inwardly as close as he can into the temple to where the most people are, to where the most activity is, to the highest position of authority. It would be as if 
if, if we had uh, someone to come up to lead music or to, to pray, and then they would get a ladder, right? And they'd climb that up and sit up on top like it's a, like it's a tree stand, right? And they're waiting for a buck to walk by. And then they'd lift up their arms with all their garments and their train flowing down and then pray. Wrong position in prayer, isn't it? Not standing with eyes open is not so wrong. But it's the putting of oneself in a place that only God belongs. Only God gets the preeminence. Only God gets the glory. Only God gets the recognition in prayer. He stood. Why? Because He stands in this public place for attention and recognition not of the righteousness of God, but the righteousness of His own heart. And I can tell you how much righteousness this Pharisee had. None. As a matter of fact, every bit of righteousness that he did have in the eyes of God, it was filthy rags. He had nothing to offer God. But yet here he comes thinking that he has something to offer him. How sad a prayer life this is. But then the second thing that we find is that he's praying with himself. Now the idea is this, that he is praying about himself. Not asking the Lord for help for some things that he needs. He's not simply like you and I and going to the Lord and and asking for some petition and asking for some, some supplication, some things of like, Lord, would you help me with this? Would you help me with this? He's going to God to tell God how good He is. Not to tell God how good He is, but to tell God how good He is. This is a dangerous prayer because it's truly no prayer at all. What it is is a boasting of oneself before the only one that could ever boast, but instead humbled Himself to be a servant, and to die the death that you and I deserved. See, the Pharisees prayed seven times a day. Now, I wish that some of us could probably do the same, but they did so out of religion. They did so out of checking things off a box. They did things off of a, a wicked heart and a vile heart. Seven times daily, according to their own laws and rules that they had established, and each time of a minimum of 30 minutes. So I want you to know this. The idea that he stood and prayed is that he keeps praying. God, I thank you that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. And now I've got 29, 29 minutes and 50 more seconds of praying that exact prayer. Over and over, boasting of who I am before God and before men. How sad. Five times you can count in verses 11 and 12. I, 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 I. God is mentioned at the very beginning. God, I thank Thee for me. God, I thank You for me being me. God, I thank You for me not being as bad as so-and-so. The reason why that's no prayer at all is because this is being offered from someone who has no righteousness and is not in a right standing or position before God. How do I know? Anyone who is in the right position of prayer, let alone in the very basic right position before God, right standing with God, will never approach God in such a way to go and tell God how good they personally are. Prayer, true prayer, spiritual prayer, biblical prayer, is us telling God how good He is. If my prayer life was going to be as long as I could tell God about how good I am, it would never be a prayer offered because we got nothing good to tell God about who we are. Everything good that you have ever accomplished spiritually, it is Christ in you. 
It is the Spirit in you. As you, yes, submit yourselves to Him. I want you to know, you know the good that Pastor Joe is able to do? Let me tell you about it. Did you get all that? Let me tell you about all the good that you can do in your flesh. I'm going to pause longer. (laughs) None. We have nothing in our flesh to offer the Lord, but it is by faith upon His mercy as we humble ourselves before Him. That is where we find worth. That is where we find acceptance. That is where we find the right position of prayer and in the Christian life. You see, the Pharisee is praying inwardly with himself to himself. He is praying horizontally so that others around him might hear how good he is and how bad that they are and how they just don't measure up. It is inward focused and looking for a horizontal response from man. I don't know about you. When you pray, are you seeking for man to move or for God to move? I'm looking for God to move. I'm looking for God to move. For God to even move man to move. To move my own heart, Lord. Change my heart. Renew my mind. Renew my strength. Renew my joy. But Lord, it must be You. He is praying selfishly and fleshly, and God is not pleased by such. As we've talked about over and over, prayer is not meant for our own gratification, but for His glorification. And in a prayer that's got I five times in two verses to tell God how good I am, it's no prayer. There's two characteristics of His prayer. First of all, it's pride. He compares himself to man's standards of holiness, not truly to God's own standard of holiness. If he really understood God's law, he would understand that he didn't measure up to any of the 600. Not even to the 10, not even to two, not even to one. He would understand that he is nothing but a vile, wretched sinner in need of saving. And that only God can save. You see, the difference between the Pharisee and the publican and how they approach prayer that the Pharisee relies approaching the throne of God by his own merit. I want to show you for just a moment the real and true way that we can even approach God. We talked a little bit about it last week, but Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It is through the blood of Christ. It is through the mercy of God Himself. There is only one way to pray. It's humbly coming to God through the mercy He even talks about in his prayer, I fast twice in the week. They fasted specifically on what you and I would have on Mondays and Thursdays. And when they fasted, boy, did they fast. They wanted everybody to know that they were fasting. As a matter of fact, Jesus had talked a bit about this. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Not to be heard of God. They don't pray to be heard of God. They pray to be seen of men. He says they have their reward. 
But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. They fasted on Mondays and Thursdays to be seen of men. Why? Because on Mondays and Thursdays is the busy day for markets. and Everybody's going to be there. Everybody was there for the prayer of the Pharisees, except the Lord wasn't in it. If the Lord's not in it, it's no prayer. You may as well pack it up. Second characteristic of his prayer is that it's prayerlessness. Not only is it one centered of pride, one of self, but it is prayerless itself because there's no faith. And what is prayer at the very root? It is a dependence and a trust and a direction of trusting God, of putting a full faith and assurance. If you can do it on your own, you don't need to pray about it. And Jesus said, Unless you abide in me, you can do nothing on your own. You must abide in me. So what does that mean? If I want any fruit in life, in ministry, if I want my heart to change, if I need joy, if I need comfort, if I need grace, if I need mercy, how will any of those things be found? True prayer. Trusting that the Lord is a good and gracious God who gives such gifts, and He does. The Pharisee prays without ever praying to God prideful, fleshly prayer that is truly just an idolatrous prayer. He has prayed to himself before men about how good he is. Real prayer is always found in a humble position. Andrew Murray wrote about humility. He said, humility is the displacement of self by the enthronement of God. You want to know the one that was on the throne in the Pharisees' prayer? Himself. Now we get to the second prayer. And that is the publican's prayer. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Oftentimes people talk about, do I need a sinner's prayer to be saved? Do I need to read some certain formula to be saved? The answer is no. But if you want to see about the closest thing you could probably ever get, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There is no one that has ever been saved who has not called upon the mercy and goodness of God to save them. There is not a single soul that has ever been saved that has not been the goodness and mercy of God and the grace of God that has not saved them. It is the mercy of God that saves a soul. Why? Because mercy withholds all that is deserved and what sinners deserve is hell and justice. But God in His grace gives Himself, gives us the free gift that is found through the mercy of That is what we've sung about this morning. It's what we've talked about this morning. The blood of Jesus Christ. It is the blood that saves. It is God's mercy that saves. It is God's mercy that keeps you saved. It is God's mercy that should draw us to prayer. Hey, you know something? If you woke up this morning, I can tell you this. God was merciful to you. Therefore, if God was merciful to you, what do you think that you should do? Should you pray or not pray? Pray! That's right. Not all of you got it. Let's try this again. If God was merciful to you this morning and you're alive, should you pray or not pray? Okay, you guys got it. That's it. If God has been merciful, and I can tell you this every moment, every millisecond of your life, it is a gift of the mercy of God. It is an effect. Every part of life, physical, spiritual, is because of the mercy, the unending mercy of God. Therefore, I ought to pray. And you know something you say, well, I don't got anything to pray for. Yes, you do. Pray for mercy and praise because of mercy. 
you got something to thank God for, and you got something to ask God for just in that one little word of mercy. The publican's prayer, he starts off, he's standing afar off. But what do you remember about the Pharisee? He made sure he stood where everybody can see him. Everybody can hear him. <coughs> this publican, if you remember back as we talked about, about these two different men and what their life is like, how many friends do you think that this publican has at the temple? Not a one. Do you think that Pharisee's going to go, oh dear brother, come over and let's pray together. How can I help you today? Let me take a burden off of you. No. As a matter of fact, in the Pharisee's prayer, I'm glad I'm not even like that publican. You can almost imagine him pointing to this guy who's standing in a corner, afraid to approach God because of his sinfulness, afraid to pray openly because of the ridicule. He stood afar off, recognizing his sin, recognizing his actual position of being far from God, and yet he knows that the only way to get to God is through God and by God. The moment sin entered into the world in Genesis, man immediately runs from God, flees from God, tries to cover themselves up before God, and never can hide enough behind a big enough tree or, or cover themselves up with enough fig leaves to do so. And here this man finds himself knowing who he is in the eyes of society, knowing who he is in the eyes of God because of his sin, and yet he comes and he simply does just that. I would tell you today, if you are in need, the first step to finding that need met is to do exactly what Jesus has commanded, do exactly what this publican has done, and do not let your sin, do not let your situation, and do certainly not let what the outside world or even the Pharisees of the church say impact you coming. Simply come. Those who come to Christ and seek mercy will always find mercy. We serve a merciful God who is mighty to save and He will in no wise cast them out who plead for His mercy. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Would not lift up His eyes to heaven. Sadly, the Pharisee would not lift up his heart to heaven. What we see here is that though his eyes do not look up, oh, the eyes of this publican's heart are fixed upon the God of mercy and His throne of grace. You know what prayer is? It's not prayer inwardly going, I started my day wrong, I can't go to God the rest of the day. If you started your day wrong, go to God. If you had a rough afternoon, go to God. You got a bad night, go to God. You got a rough time at work, go to God. You got a, a tough time in family, a situation you can't handle, maybe a situation you think you can handle, go to God, go to God, go to God, go to God for His mercy. That's the position that we must find ourselves in in prayer. John Flavel wrote, They that know God will be humble, and they that know themselves cannot be proud. The Pharisee truly didn't know himself, and he truly didn't know God. But here this publican comes, he knows the wrongs he's done. He knows his unworthiness, he knows his unrighteousness, and what he does anyways is come. There's many a people who have said to me in conversations and to others, how can I be saved? Will God accept me? 
I, you know, you don't understand, preacher. I, I've done too much. I've sinned too much. I've sinned too big. Good! Because that will display the mighty mercy of God. Come anyways, and He will cleanse you by the blood of Christ. Do not think you have sinned too much or sinned too big that God's mercy cannot handle it. It's exactly what God's mercy does. You think that your sins are many. Well, that's fine because His mercy is more. That's it. But this publican's prayer had two characteristics. He says, smites his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. First of all, the first characteristic is penitence. He's penitent in his prayer, meaning this, that he's incredibly sincere and incredibly repentant in his prayer. There is a deep sorrow, a, a deep anguish and distress over his sin. As a matter of fact, so much so that in the custom of the day when there was sorrow and anguish and, and just a guttural cry of pain, he would smite the breast. Meaning he beats his chest, not as the Pharisee does in pride. Oh God, look at me! A Pharisee. No, but they're off away into himself because no one else would have him except for God. He simply cries out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You want to know how you got saved? You want to know your, your sinner's prayer or your formula? It is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I can't be low enough and He can't be lifted high enough. But His mercy reaches far lower than you can ever put yourself and far lower than your sin can ever take you. God's mercy can reach you and God's mercy is available. Look to Christ today and live. He's penitent. He knows that he has no hope to approach God in his own merit because his merit is terrible. He knows he's got no way to God except through the mercy of God. The same for you and I today. It has not changed one bit. As a matter of fact, every prayer that you and I ever pray, we should find ourselves in that same position. The very reason why I have the privilege to pray as we talked about last week is because of the mercy of God. And when I approach the throne of grace, though I have the privilege to do so at every minute and every hour and should because of Christ, I also have to understand that my position at that throne is I'm not on it. All I can do is come to the feet of Jesus those merciful scarred feet that bled for me, with outstretched hands that bore the wrath and the weight of my sin, pouring out His blood and His mercy so that all may come and be saved. The second characteristic of His prayer, whereas the Pharisee was prayerlessness, His is prayerfulness. He says a whole lot less in words than the Pharisee. But oh, I tell you, he says a whole lot more in fewer words. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a deep, yet high-reaching prayer. His prayerfulness is one of faith. He knows that only God can save him, only God can restore him. He knows that it is God's mercy that he is in need of. His prayer is directed to God alone, and it is dependent on God alone. The publican relies on the merit and mercy of God to approach 
God in prayer, not his own self. The reason why? Because there is only one way to approach God, and it's his mercy. There's only one position of prayer, true prayer, true spirit-led, spirit-filled, God-glorifying prayer. And it is humbly bowing before the mercy of God. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And by the way, I don't just need God's mercy to save me. I need God's mercy for every moment of my life. It's God's mercy and grace that I'm as sanctified as I am. And I can tell you this, i got a long ways to go. And if we're real honest with ourselves, we go, we got long ways to go. But it is God's grace and mercy that will see us through. Lastly, we've seen two people, two prayers, but after these prayers, there's two positions. One, unjustified. And let me break that down for you. An enemy of God, wicked, vile, still under sin, still under wrath, a slave to sin, self-deceived, and there's much, much more. And the other one is justified meaning saved, cleansed, and right before God, not because of oneself, but because of the mercy, work, and person of God. First of all, in verse 14, it says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Which one? The one that was smiting his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Because it's only God's mercy that justifies a sinner. He says, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. This idea of being crushed, lowered. You can build your kingdom in your flesh and by your own strength. And God, with one word, can crush it. You can build your home. You can build your own faith to a degree of yourself and in yourself and in your strength and by your strength and through your strength. One word, God can crush your pride, flatten your house, flatten your life. And He'd be just in doing so. What we see here that the unjustified that they choose to exalt themselves in prayer. The one who exalts themselves will be humbled by God. And that's a frightful thing. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Our God is a consuming fire. Do not think that in your self-righteousness you can fool God. You can certainly fool man and you can try to fool your own heart. But I would tell you, call upon the mercy of God and be saved. You see, nothing is gained through prideful fleshly prayer. There's not a fleshly prideful prayer that you've ever prayed that has ever been answered nor will ever be answered. The only prayer that God will accept is one that comes in the right position, and that is one of humility, one who is justified before God, not because of my merit, but His merit, his mercy. The second position is this, justified, which is where we find real faith and real prayer. You see, those that humble themselves will be exalted before the Lord. Much is gained when we lose ourselves in prayer. Much is gained when we lose ourselves for the glory of God. Much is gained when we humble ourselves to lift Him up. Much is gained the lower I go, the higher He is and the more mercy I get to drink from. Turn with me now for just a moment. James chapter 4. 
James chapter 4 and we'll be done. Here's where we see that parable in a way played out. James chapter 4, verse 3 through 10. Listen to these words very carefully. Ye ask and ye receive not, because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. It is the idea that the proud come, much like the Pharisee, and God resists. It is the idea of pushing back. Even at war against because they're enemies. God will not take your prideful prayer and answer the way that you think you should have it answered. God resists pride. He even says in His Word that He hates a proud look. Hates pride. He says, but He giveth grace unto the humble. The pride of the Pharisee comes to the temple to pray. And the humility of the publican come to pray there as well. One prayer is heard and accepted. One person is justified. And it's not the one who thinks much of himself. It's the one who makes much of Christ. The one who calls upon the mercy of God. You need grace today? Humble yourself. He says in verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. That's truly what humility looks like. The humble Christian is one who continuously surrenders every moment in their life, their gifts, their talents, their money, their car, their truck, their job, their kids, their heartbeat, their breath, all of it to God. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw nigh to God. Truly that's the goal of prayer, is it not? To meet with the Lord? To be in His presence? Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. How can a sinner draw nigh to God? He can't on his own. But the closest that anyone can ever be to God is through the mercy of God. A humbling of oneself and a humility that says, God has said, come by His mercy, therefore I will go through His mercy. Do not resist this invitation to come and receive the mercy of God today. He continues and says, Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. The lowly, humble prayer of the sinner reaches the highest heavens of God's mercy. Today, I give a warning to anyone who would be proud or fleshly in their prayers. Do not be proud of your humility. Any of us ever been there? Lord, I thank You. I'm so humble. <laughs> yeah. God, I'm, I'm glad I'm humble. Yeah. Such a humble prayer. 
Don't be proud of your humility and do not be proud of your prayer life. To be proud of one's prayer life is to realize, or to think rather, if I'm proud of my prayer life and where it's at, that means I must be doing pretty good praying and talking to God. Telling Him all about me. Telling Him all about my needs. I'm real good at praying. (laughs) I'd love to be real good at praying. Teach the rest of us sometime. You see, it's the Spirit that teaches us to pray because He teaches us first before He teaches us how to pray. He shows us our need to pray. That we must be totally dependent upon Him and totally dependent upon the mercy of God for everything. And I would warn the proud today or the fleshly one who prays in the flesh, humble yourself before God humbles you before Him. You would be much better off to humble yourself before God than to have Him have to humble you. And do not think that God can't. Do not think that God won't. God will not be mocked. But I would give you this welcome. Even to you today who might find yourself in the place of a Pharisee or find yourself going, I don't know this Jesus and I need my sins forgiven. I would tell you this and welcome you to every saint who says, I want a better prayer life. I want a deeper prayer life. I want a higher prayer life. I want a prayer life that reaches God and knows God and is full of confidence with God and walks with God. Both parties will be found at the same spot and that is in the right position of prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The position of prayer as God would have it is where the humble receive all they need and more by His infinite mercy through a humble position of prayer. Today, if you have a need, the Lord says come. Receive His mercy and grace that you need today, that I need today. Be filled up, prayed up, humbled so that the Lord is exalted. We decrease that He would increase. Today, if you have a need, this altar's open even before this piano starts playing. Let's all stand this morning. If you have a need, this altar's open. Would you come?